0: Father God, as we turn to your word, we ask for your help. We have all come from normal life and with all the many things that life brings our way. But we do pray this evening as we gather together that you will enable us to focus our minds and our hearts on you. And once again, very simply we ask what we know not teach us. In Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen. I guess one of the more difficult aspects of growing older is being able to let go. And it seems... All too easy to hold on to a job or to a position far longer than we ought to. But instead of of holding on when it is clear that there is something else for us to do or someone else to do our task, is being able before the Lord to acknowledge that. We should also look for those who are a little younger who we may mentor in the faith so that when the need arises these individuals would be able to step forward to serve the Lord. The Apostle Paul instructed young Timothy he said this and in all things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. And the concept of preparing others for future work runs right through the scriptures. In 1955, a man by the name of Dawson Trotman, he was American, you'll have guessed, He was head of the Navigators and he was asked to speak at a particular conference and he did so and he gave his message the title, Born to Reproduce. As he neared the end of his address, he asked the question, men, where is your man? Women, where is your man? Women, And what he was asking was, who have we encouraged, taught, mentored? Whatever word we want to add to that list. Who who is it that we are encouraging? Because we should be. And we should be planning ahead. And when the opportunity presents itself... To lead others to maturity in their Christian life and experience. I'm going to cheat a wee bit tonight because we're not going to solely look at Elijah. You'll have guessed we're also going to look at Elisha. Because as Elijah came to the end of his ministry, there is an awful lot that I think we can glean from his life and experience Elijah was another one of these individuals who was encouraged to help the one who would follow him and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Mahola you shall anoint in your place That was his instruction from God. And that wasn't an option. I don't believe for one minute that was something that he could have chosen to do or not. It was a command from heaven. Now, Elisha was the son of a wealthy landowner, he was privileged. It's interesting that Elijah didn't choose his successor, God did, and he enabled him to come to that conclusion when Elijah was in a cave on the side of Mount Horeb. Now from there he set out to find the one who would follow him. And on his way from Sinai to Damascus, Elijah found his man. We are told that the older prophet found Elisha ploughing with twelve yoke of oxen. And Elijah passed by him, says the scripture, and threw his mantle on him. That was the sign that Elisha was being called to continue God's ministry to his people in these days and generations. Elisha's response is worth noting. He accepted the call and he delayed only long enough to kill the oxen to boil the carcasses on a fire that he made from the plough that he was ploughing with. He said farewell to his parents, no dithering, no questioning, no doubting, only out and out obedience. And I think we can learn an awful lot from that young man's experience. When God puts his hand on our lives and as as I've said here many times in the past we all have at least one thing that God has called us to do. He has gifted us with at least one gift from himself. And all that he asks from us is total and utter obedience. And Elisha was a great example Of that. For the next seven or eight years, he becomes Elijah's close attendant. It's interesting that those seven or eight years we're not really told very much about. But all we know is that for these years that passed, Elisha followed Elijah every step of the way. And Elijah would disciple him. He would help him to grow. He would encourage him. And the one thing we can be certain of, he would be an example to him. It's another moment where we have to stop and ask a question. As others look at our life, Are we examples worth following? And that's another question where the answer is not optional. There is only one of two answers. We either are or we're not. And those who would be younger in years or those who would be younger in the faith have every reason to expect that we would be good examples. And so we should be. And so the men traveled together, they ministered together until it became very apparent that the day Was fast approaching when Elijah would be removed from this scene of time. And I guess, like any normal individual, Elisha was filled very probably with at least a little bit of dread and fear. It's only human. He had walked with this man for seven or eight years. He had followed him closely. He had listened to him talk. And now the day was approaching when he would be taken from him. And I'm sure he was concerned. On Elijah's last day on earth, the prophet told Elisha to remain in Gilgal, while he went to Bethel. But Elisha refused, as surely as the Lord lives, and as surely as you live, I shall never leave thee. Why did Elijah make these suggestions? Why do you think that he said to the one who would follow him, listen. I'm going somewhere on my own in the full knowledge that his days and that day when he would leave this scene of time had come upon. Perhaps he was testing Elisha's faithfulness. Elisha was as good as his word. As surely as the Lord lives, I'll never leave you. And he remained steadfast, he remained faithful, and he never left the older prophet's side. When they got to Bethel, the sons of the prophets were there. They said, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your master today? I don't know if they were stirring it up or not. Maybe that was another test of faith for him. And he says, yes, I know. But you keep silent. (coughs) Scripture doesn't tell us how they received that information. But God obviously had conveyed it to them. After all, he is the one who declares the end from the beginning. Isaiah 46, verse 10, I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. My counsel shall stand, and I will do my pleasure. Let me say this to you. Whatever circumstances you face, whatever decisions you face, be sure of one thing that the decision you make is in line with God's pleasure. Because if you make the wrong one, you'll know. As individuals, As believers corporately, our walk with God should be such that when we face choices and decisions, we are able to make the right one for the right reasons in accordance with the will of God. When we think of matters regarding the future, even for us, it is vital too that we also, when we think ahead and we live in the light of the days that we live in, that we understand God's plans and purposes for His people. And we understand. As best as we're able, God's plans and purposes for this world in which we live in. Because despite the confusion, humanly speaking, God still has a plan. And it will be worked out. Then Elijah spoke to Elisha again and he said, listen, stay here. The Lord has called me to go to Jericho. And the response was just the same as the Lord lives and as your soul lives I will never leave you. And from Jericho God dispatched Elijah to the Jordan and for a third time Elijah suggested that the younger man would leave would remain behind but Elisha was steadfast as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. And as they approached the River Jordan, with the prophets in training, watching from a distance, Elijah took his mantle, he, he rolls it up, he strikes the water, and the water parts so that the two could walk over on dry ground. Did the water gather up like it had done in the Red Sea when Moses held up his staff, when the children of Israel were fleeing from the fast approaching Egyptians? We don't know. But we do know that the pathway through it was dry. Our God is a God of miracles. This was one of these occasions where something happened that was beyond Elijah or Elisha's human ability. But God provided a way across. When they get to the other side of the river Elijah says to the young man who was with him, ask what I might do for you before I'm taken away from you. Elijah knew his time was near. And clearly Elisha had something that he would have wanted from his teacher because he remained steadfast with him. He wasn't going to miss out on anything. And in verse 9, Please let a double portion of your spirit come upon me. What a request. What a request ask. The boldness of this young man. And this young man knew. That Elijah's God and his God was a God that was more powerful than we could ever imagine. Now on the surface, the request for a double blessing, some might think that was a bit audacious, but actually it was quite normal. As Elijah's trainee, Elisha was in the spiritual sense, his son, And in Old Testament days, with the people of Israel, the firstborn son got the double portion of the blessing. Whether we think that's fair or not is immaterial. It was nonetheless true. And as such, in asking for that blessing, he was not doing something that he should not have done. interesting, Elijah says, you've not asked the easiest of things. Knowing that such a request could only be fulfilled by God himself, Elijah tells his protege he had no power to bestow such a thing upon him by himself. But he says this, Nevertheless, if you see me, why, when I am taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. If this man was to have the double portion of the blessing, it wasn't coming from Elijah, it was coming from God. And of course, we know that all good things come from God. Elisha had stayed with Elijah every minute of that day. There was one thing certain, he wasn't going to miss his departure, that's for sure. Couldn't rest the dash down to the shops for a sweetie. He clung to him every minute of the day Elisha remained firmly focused and remained completely faithful. Suddenly a chariot of fire appeared and horses of fire and separated the two of them and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. He departed in a moment miraculously carried into God's presence Elijah didn't witness death he was removed from this earth but not through the valley of the shadow of death there was another one recorded in scripture who left this earth in a similar way. He was a righteous man by the name of Enoch. The Bible speaks of him very simply and it states, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Genesis 5:24. And these two supernatural departures from earth into heaven without experiencing physical death, I believe depicts a wonderful picture of, Of what it will be like for the church of Jesus Christ. On that day when the Lord himself descends from heaven with a shout. with The voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Those who would try to dismiss the rapture, and many do these days, I think it's very sad, but it's a reality. We can say, well, at least in two occasions recorded in Scripture, in a very limited way, the self-same thing of disappearing from earth into the presence of God took place. So why should we doubt it will be any different for the bride of Christ? Elisha saw his teacher depart from this mortal sphere. He saw him no more. He took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen to the ground. And was his request granted? Scripture says... The man took up his master's mantle and struck the water and it divided this way and that. The Lord divided Jordan for Elisha in exactly the same way as he had done for Elijah. And so he was the one to take up the mantle. He was the one who was to carry on the work of God in that day and generation. During the eight years or so, these two men were together. The older poured himself into the younger, preparing Elisha for this day when he would be taken from him. When it would be his responsibility to take up the baton. And to run with it. That raises the question, doesn't it? Are we doing that? Or are we sitting stationary in a seat, letting others get on with the job? Listen. As I've said many times before, there is no such thing as spiritual sun loungers. None. There is no place for God's people to be sitting, enjoying the view. Because I'm of the belief from personal experience, if you're not moving forward with the Lord, you're moving backwards. I remember... Way back, oh I would be about seven or eight at the time, we used to go down to Presswick for our holidays and we used to get Cremola foam, which was a rather poor um, copy of fizzy juice. And when you mixed it together, there didn't really seem to be much juice there, there just seemed to be a lot of foam. What are we producing in our lives as Christians? Are we producing the right things, or is it just froth and foam? Are we producing fruit for the glory of God, or is there not really that much at all? We're either doing one or the other. What's the depth of our Christian experience? Is it deeper than it was last Tuesday? Because it should be. And if God gives us next Tuesday, it should be deeper still. We are all called. We are all called of God. To serve him. Elijah was called. Elisha was called. And they were faithful. And we know that because we have the benefit of hindsight and we have the benefit of God's word. In a coming day, if the Lord tarries and others would look over our life, what is the legacy that we're leaving? What would be said of us? Oh, he was one of those troublemakers carnaptious difficult divisive or when I was in the presence of someone recently they were speaking of a an older brother in the Lord and the, the, they said this When you went into his presence, you knew that he had spent time with his saviour. And that is what it should be like for any of us who claim to be Christians. The legacy that we leave should be something that people look back on, that they learn from, not for our glory, but for God's glory. As the verse says, and it's well known to us all, you're writing a gospel, a chapter each day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. And men, read what you write, distorted or true. So what is the gospel according to you? Elijah was faithful to the end. Elisha was faithful when he was being mentored those seven years and when the time came he was ready almost without breaking step to take up the mantle and to serve his God. Am I faithful? Are you In the work that God has called you to do. Are we willing not to count the cost? Or is it all on our terms? Do we try to coax God down the way of our own imaginations? Let me tell you something from personal experience. That does not lead to blessing. It is only when all is on the altar... where we have died to ourselves. and The desire of our hearts is to live in that newness of life for the glory of our Saviour. That is what matters. But we also need to remind ourselves that while we have been called to do different things and none more important than the other, it's him that gets the glory. because if it, if he doesn't we've got it dreadfully wrong faithfulness readiness then we will be men and women that God can use for his glory